I love Hebrews 11. How many of you love Hebrews 11? I mean, how can you not love Hebrews 11? I mean, God is defining faith for us here. You know, if you talk to a lot of different religious professionals, you talk to different denominations about, you ask them, what does it mean to have faith? You might get, I don't know, six or ten or twelve or twenty different answers. But if you want to know what God has to say, all you have to do is open your Bible and go to Hebrews chapter 11. God says this is faith. And it has nothing to do with religion, right? This is faith. It's a life in love with me. It's a life given away to me. And so we can't dumb it down. God gives us this avalanche of illustrations. This is one reason I love Hebrews 11. These are real men, real women, in love with a real God, obeying a real God, giving themselves away to a real God. So I love Hebrews 11. And tonight we're looking at Moses. I want to begin with a quote tonight uh, from John MacArthur, one of my favorite preachers in the States. Many, if not most of you, would be familiar with him. He says this, the course and quality of our lives are determined much more by our decisions than by our circumstances. Would you agree? Let me read it to you again. The course and the quality of our lives are determined much more by our decisions than by our circumstances. Do you agree? Adam and Eve decided to rebel. And of course, we're all painfully aware of the consequences of their actions. Noah, he decided to obey the Lord, right? He decided to believe and, and obey the Lord. And in doing so, he saved his family and us as well. If you've been around ICM very long, you know that I love the, the, the Old Testament story of the Exodus Jews at Kadesh Barnea. They made a horrible decision. Remember, they wouldn't trust God. They wouldn't go into the promised land. And God judged them. And they spent 40 years in the wilderness, dying in the wilderness. Also, if you're a veteran ICMer, you know I love the, the story of Gideon. Gideon decided to trust the Lord. He was outnumbered 450 to 1, at least. He decided to trust the Lord and through the faith of Gideon and his 300 men, the Lord delivered, although they were small issue to the matter, as you recall, the Lord delivered Israel from a conquering horde. It is the uh, universal pastime of mankind. That's to complain about our circumstances. I bet some of you I won't ask for a show of hands. I bet some of you complained this week about your circumstances. I bet some of you did, right? Oftentimes, though, our circumstances are merely the result of what we decided at some point in the past. It's an undeniable fact that most of our consequences, not all, but most, are a result of decisions that we made last week, last year, last decade, when I was 12. Consequences from decisions regarding the deplorable state of the world and mankind. You know, I hear this a lot as a pastor. Why is the world so messed up? 
Your average unbeliever and even many who claim to be Christians, they'll come to me with this question. Why is the world like this? Well, open your Bible and read it. God put us in paradise, right? Why are we not still in paradise? Someone tell me. Oh, we decided it would be better to rebel against the Word of God. We decided that. Our forebears decided that. So I, I grow weary. I have little patience for men who rail at God about the, the condition of the world and uh, mankind at large. It is, this is something we can't lay at the feet of God. We must take responsibility. It is a consequence of our own decisions. We are culpable. We are culpable in the fallen condition of the world. God has always offered man this choice. Listen to some of these great texts. Deuteronomy 30.19 God says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse, so choose life in order that you may live. Listen to this great text. Joshua 24.14-15 uh, Therefore, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and truth. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, Choose for yourselves today what gods you will serve. 1 Kings 18.21 Elijah challenged the people, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. You remember how that verse ends. That verse ends like this, But the people did not answer Him a word. It's true, isn't it? A decision not to decide is a decision. Right? And there are millions, if not billions, of people who have heard the name of Jesus on this planet. And they've simply decided not to decide. But to decide not to decide is to decide against Him. It's to reject Him. Listen, beloved, you can't hear the Gospel, the biblical Gospel. And, yeah, we talked about it last week. It's like Jesus, you know, the great Creator God is condescended. He, 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 he's become flesh. He's gone to the cross and it's like we say, nah, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. So, yeah, this is a, a great insult as we talked about last week. A great insult to God. God says to you and He says to me, I have set before you life and I have set before you death. I have set before you blessing and I have set before you curse. I've set before you heaven and I've set before you hell. You choose. And this is what we're seeing in Hebrews 11. These men and women, they chose God. Not in some brain-dead, heart-dead religious way. They gave themselves to Him. Which is always, always the biblical standard of true, genuine, biblical, saving faith. This is the standard. What is the evidence for loving God in the Bible? It's always the same. Obedience. It's all, not that we do it perfectly. That's not what I'm saying. But God says, this is real faith. Hebrews 11. These men and women, they obeyed Me. They believed I was God enough to follow. This is biblical faith. Again, not that any of us do it perfectly. If you read Hebrews 11, you understand that none of these men and women are perfect. In fact, some of them are quite flawed. But God says, they believed I was God enough to obey and they came after Me. And they lived their life in such a way that I was honored. Beloved, this is, this is biblical Christianity. I know it's dumbed down in most places. 
to merely church attendance and church membership or something like something goofy like that. But if we actually read our Bibles, we see God is calling, to, calling us to something much, much higher. Hebrews 11, I want to share this with you and I want you to think about it as we continue through the chapter in the coming weeks. But as I've studied this chapter, I see there is a progression. Not only is God illustrating, defining and illustrating faith for us, He gives us a progression of faith. We saw several weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, that uh, verse 1 defines faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines it. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Verse 6 tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Someone tell me. What, is, what does Hebrews 11.6 say? We must not only what? Believe that He is. We must believe. What, was, what, what else must we believe about God? He's a rewarder. Beloved, I shared with you that last week or the week before. If you don't believe He's a rewarder, you'll never go with Him. You'll never go with Him. If you don't believe He's a good God, if you don't believe His Word can be trusted, you'll never take a risk for Christ. You'll just be merely another church member. You'll just sit in the pew, you'll hear the Word, you'll go out in the world and not do any of it. But if you really believe God is good, if you really believe God will meet you in obedience, you'll get hooked on obedience. It's addicting, beloved. It's addicting. <laughs> it's addicting. Trust me. I know some of you know this. God always shows up in the obedience. Jesus says, I'll disclose myself to you. I'll disclose myself to you. And He does. He does. And then there's this progression. So we get to verse 7 and and, and the following verses, and we see, we see that God initiates faith. True faith comes from God. It doesn't come from the preacher. It doesn't come from the church. It doesn't come from the priest. It doesn't come from the sacraments. It doesn't come from the ordinances. It doesn't come from prayers. It comes from God. God warned Noah. God called Abraham. God promised Sarah. It's always God. Biblical Christian faith is about God. It's not about the church. It's about God. Now, we're to express our faith and use our gifts in the church. We're, to, we're be, to, to be part of the church. It's about God. It's about God. It's always initiated by God and His Word. The second thing we saw last week, we saw that if, if faith, if it's real in our lives, it will, if it's real in our heart, it will spill out into our lives. All of our friends will see it. Our family will see it. Our colleagues will see it. Our neighbors will see it. As I said last week, there's no such thing as a secret agent Christian. No such thing. No such thing. If faith is real, it spills out. We talked about it last week. Abraham and Sarah and, the, and others, they were seeking the heavenly city. They were pursuing God. They were desiring God and pursuing God. That was the signature of their life. Let me ask you, beloved, is that the signature of your life? If you claim to be a Christian tonight, is that the signature of your life? It should be. <laughs> if you call yourself a Christian tonight, it should be. And tonight we're going to see that real faith, real faith makes hard decisions. Real faith stands when the stress comes. Real faith goes and does the hard thing with God. 
We're going to see that illustrated in the life, in the life of Moses. Doesn't matter how difficult the circumstances are, how hard it looks, how impossible it is, how much it's going to cost, real faith obeys. Sometimes trembling, amen, but real faith obeys. Albeit imperfectly, but ultimately, real faith obeys. This is Hebrews 11. This is God's definition of faith. It's not my definition, it's God's definition. Verse 23. Verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Okay, I want to speak just a moment to the parents that are here and to all future parents. So if you plan on marrying and having children, uh, I'm talking to you specifically uh, right now. And if you have children presently, I'm also speaking to you. Do you notice? Did you notice how Moses' parents lived their life? It was verse 23. It was how? By what? By faith. By faith. Do you see, do you see this great gift that do you, you know Moses became one of the greatest men who've ever walked the planet? It started with his mother and his father, beloved. It started right there because they believed God. Moses saw that in their life. But they gave him a legacy. They believed God. They didn't fear the king's edict. God's bigger than the king. And they would not. Let me give you a little background. I'll give you a little background just so before I preach too far past it. At this time, the Jews were being held as a slave people in Egypt and Pharaoh became alarmed that the the, the Jewish population was swelling. He was afraid that the Egyptians would ultimately be overrun, so he, he decreed that all the male babies should be killed. This is what he decreed. And of course, Moses' parents said, no way. Of course, they did this at the risk of their, their own death. Right? They did this at the risk of their own death. They were not, the text says, afraid of the king's edict. They were not afraid of the king's edict. They trusted the Lord. The Lord, in His providence, He honored their faith in Him. God took Moses and used him in a mighty way. Do you see, it all started because mom and dad believed. That's how it started. Mom and dad believed. You know the name of Moses because Moses' mom and dad believed. That's the only reason you know. And of course, in the great sovereign providence of God. My point is this. If you're a parent, are you going to be a parent? Beloved, this is a stewardship. You need to live, you need to live your faith huge before your children. I was sharing with a man just this uh, last week. He was facing a hard decision. He said, well, I don't know. It might be too risky for, for my family. Something like this. I said, listen. I said, listen, the thing you owe your family above all else is that you obey Christ with glad, reckless joy. And that they see that obeying God is the most important thing on the planet. Your kids see it. That they see that. That that's a reality. And because they see it in your life, they see when the hard time comes, you're on Christ. When they see that, they're drawn to Him. 
beloved. They're drawn to Him. If it's real, they're drawn to Him. They'll be drawn to Him. So, I just wanted to make that comment for the parents. So what are you setting in motion for your children? Are you giving them a godly legacy? Are you exposing them to the value and worth and beauty and power and sufficiency of the Lord? When you face a challenge, do you face it by faith? Do your kids see that? Does your life shout, I love God and I believe He's good? Yeah, it's risky. What I'm doing is risky. Your kids need to see it. They need to see that it's risky. But you obey anyway. Because God is worthy, as we sang earlier. You cannot give a greater gift to your children. This is truly loving your kids. So, what are you teaching your kids about the greatest lesson in life? Jesus Christ. And you future parents, don't you ever forget Hebrews 11. Don't you ever forget Moses' mom and dad. That's your, that's your paradigm. Verses 24-26, to By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Verse 26, Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of heaven, for he was looking to the reward. After three months, a little more Old Testament uh, history to bring you up to speed. After three months, uh, Moses' mom, he could no, she could no longer hide the child. She put him in a, in a basket. You know the story. Put him in the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter found him among the reeds. And she adopted the boy. And you know the story. <laughs> Moses' sister suggested that, uh, that she would find someone to, to nurse Moses. And of course, Moses' own mom nursed him. You see, you see God, listen, you see how God provides for his kids when they when they obey him, even at great risk. We'll talk more at the end of the chapter. We yes, we understand that some Christians are martyred. We understand that. Does that does that mean that God is not faithful? Of course not. It means God is glorifying himself differently in their lives. But do you see God's faithfulness here as he takes care of Moses' parents, as he takes care of Moses. Now, Egypt was the most advanced culture uh, in that area at that time. And Moses grew up and was educated and cultured in, in, uh, in Egypt. You may remember what Stephen says about Moses in Acts chapter 7, verse 22. He says, Moses was educated in all the learning of Egypt. He was a man of power in word and in deed. Ultimately, Moses faced the same decision that you and I face. Excuse me. The same decision that we face. Would he align himself with Egypt, which is to say the world? You know, the, the uh, wealth and power and prestige and comfort and luxury of Egypt, would he align himself with that? Or would he align himself with God and the people of God? It's the same decision you have to make. It's the same decision I have to make. Am I going to run after the things of the world? Am I going to give my heart to the things of the world? Or am I going to really give my heart to God? This is the decision that Moses has to make. It's exactly the same for you. It's, it's the exact same for, for you. This is a crisis in, in Moses' life. 
You know those times when you have to figure out who you really are and what your life is really about and whose side you're really on. (laughs) This is what Moses has to figure out. This is his decision. Would he align himself with Egypt or would he align himself with the people of God? I think we talked about it last week. It's all about what's in your heart. What did Jesus say? For where your treasure is, what? There will your heart be also. If you love the world, your heart will be on the world. Your mind will be on the world. You'll be living like the world. But if Jesus is your treasure, as we've said so many times, you'll be, this aroma will be on you. You will smell like God. You will just smell like God. And those around you will smell it. They'll smell Jesus on you. As my seminary professor used to say, they'll smell Jesus on you. As you live and love and serve and teach and come alongside and encourage and give and serve. All the things that real Christians do. Hebrews 11 is crystal clear. Genuine biblical faith, saving faith, it desires God above all else. (laughs) Above all else. As I said earlier, men and false Christian expression, pseudo-religion will tell you that faith is something less than that. It's, it's just religious activity. It's self-righteousness. It's you know, checking your church attendance box. It's doing all these silly things. But God is saying, no. It's about a life in love with Me. A life that obeys Me. Look at verse 25. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin. This is one of those hard decisions. You know, this is a hard decision that Moses has, has to make. I mean, he has everything at his fingertips all the luxury, all the wealth, all the power, all the pleasure. It's all at his fingertips. Would you walk away from it? Can you imagine the arguments in his head? You've had these arguments, I've had these arguments. Oh, well, I'll just continue to be in the the court of Pharaoh. Think of how much good I can do here. Can't you hear him rationalizing? Oh, I I can do so much more good here. I have so much more power here. I have so much more sway here. I've made that argument to myself in the past. I bet many of you have as well. But he chose... He chose the ill treatment of the people of God more. He wanted that more. Why would he want that more than all the temporal pleasures of life? Why would he want that more? He's really seen Christ. He's seen God. He's heard God. He says, man, I'm spoiled for the world. He said, he said, give me the whole world? No way. I don't care. I don't want it. I want God. That's all I want is God. I've seen Him. I've glimpsed Him in my spirit, just like every born-again believer in here. We've, we've caught a glimpse of the living God. Nothing compares to Him. Nothing. Nothing even comes close. You could take the world and multiply it 10,000 times. It's nothing compared to 
the greatness of God. We talked about sin last week. Remember the great definition from John Piper. Sin is the suicidal exchange of the infinite value, beauty, and joy in God for some fleeting, inferior, sugar-coated substitute. It's, it's exchanging God for stuff. It's exchanging God for stuff. Yeah, sin can be pleasurable. It can be very pleasurable. But the pleasures of sin is always fleeting, right? It's always fleeting. It was pleasurable, but it's gone. The real Christian weighs this out. The real Christian says, but with God, there are pleasures forever. Psalm 16, 11, I think. With God, there are pleasures forever. Moses weighs it out. This is, a, this is no hard decision at all. The world's passing away. But God's pleasures are indeed Forever, Moses says, I choose infinite, eternal life. I choose the infinite, eternal God. MacArthur says it like this about Moses' choice. I love this quote. From a worldly perspective, Moses was sacrificing everything for nothing. But from a spiritual perspective, he was sacrificing nothing for everything. If you're, if you're born again tonight, you get that. You get that. You understand that. The world holds no true allure for the genuine believer. It, it reminded me of Jim Elliott's famous saying. Most of you are familiar with him. Jim Elliott was an American missionary martyred in the 50s in South America. He said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in exchange for what he cannot lose. Verse 26 says, It punctuates what we said last week. He considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to his reward. I looked up this Greek word reproach, and it connotes this. It connotes abuse and scorn and insult and suffering and disgrace. How does Moses come to this decision? How does he make this hard choice to go with God's people as opposed to living in luxury? How does he do it? He's looking at the reward. What does the text say? He's looking at the reward. It goes back to Hebrews 11.6. You must not only believe that God is, you must believe He's a rewarder. Moses believed it. He said, yeah, I have all this stuff at my fingertips, but God's a rewarding God. Oh, and His rewards are forever. <laughs> and as we talked about last week, He is our ultimate reward. As God told Abraham, I'm your great reward. God is our reward. And this is what Moses is looking at. He's looking at the Lord. We talked about this a lot last week. He was seeking and desiring a better country, the heavenly one. He was pointing at the Bema seat, which I tell you all the time as Christians, we need to be pointing at the Bema seat. Moses was looking at God and his life shouted, I love this God. Beloved, take inventory tonight. Does your life shout this? Does your life shout in the world? Does your life shout, I love this God? Can your friends tell by the way you talk, by the way you live, by the way you act, by, by the things you watch? Can they tell you love this God? This is what God is saying. You remember what He said last week? Man, people who love me like this, people who come after me like this, I'm not ashamed to be their God. Remember? 
People who really believe I'm God and really believe I'm good, I am not ashamed to be their God. That's what we talked about last week. What an awesome thing. What an awesome thing. Verse 27, By faith he left Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Just a little background here. You know the story that, that Moses killed an Egyptian slave master who was beating a, a, a Jewish slave. He killed him. Pharaoh heard about it. And Moses took off. You know the story, right? He took off. And he went to Midian for 40 years. Met a shepherd's girl. Married her. Became a shepherd. Then what happened? God came, right? God came and called Moses to go back to Egypt to be used of God to deliver His people. If you read Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4, you realize that Moses struggled mightily with this call, just as you have, most likely, and as I have. When God puts a call on your life and it's outside the comfort zone, it's outside the norm, it's outside conventionality, it's outside conformity. And you, if you've read the text, you know he gave about. He tried to excuse himself four or five times before the Lord. You may remember. Well, I, you know, he kept saying, "Well, Lord, what about this?" And God says, "I'm God over that." And Moses said, "What about this other thing?" He said, "Well, I'm God over that too." And Moses says, well, "What about this?" God says, "I'm God over that." Beloved, the problem in the Christian church is we really don't believe that. If we believed that, we would live like that. If we really believed it. Moses, he tried to back out. God says, I'm God. You go obey me. I'm God. You go do what I say. Of course, we know the story. Moses returned. Moses returned to Egypt. He goes back and is used of God in a, in a mighty way. You know, it comes down to this very same thing for you and for me. You know, not all of us are called to be preachers. Not all of us are called to be great prophets like Moses. But every Christian has a call. Every single one of you have a call. And if you don't know what it is, then it should be your top priority to be asking God what it is and what your gift is and how you can use it in the church for the edification of the saints and for the glory of Jesus. It comes down to the same thing. You always know if it's God's call because you don't want to go do it. You're afraid to go do it. You don't think you have what it takes to go do it. God says, I'm God. Maybe it's just to, to love your spouse the way you should. To raise your kids the way you should. To be the kind of businessman you're supposed to be or businesswoman. To be a, a witness at the university. I, I don't know what it is Different probably for each of us. But it's the place where God's pressing you right now. And He's saying, obey me. Grow. Change. Step out of your comfort zone. I'm God. I'm God. No more excuses. No more rationalizations. We've talked about this the last few weeks. I'm God. Do you believe it? Christian, do you believe it? Do you believe He's God? Do you believe He's good? Do you believe He'll reward you? Then obey Him with glad, reckless joy. As Oswald Chambers loves to say, there's a, there's a, great, there's a great insight in the original language here. It says that, that He left 
that Moses left Egypt. If, actually, I think, it was, I think it's the King James Version. I'm not sure. It says he forsook Egypt. He didn't just physically leave it. He turned his back on the world. He says God's infinitely more valuable than anything Egypt has to offer. It's like Peter and Andrew and James and John, Luke chapter 5, they left everything and followed Jesus. <laughs> you know, it's amazing in the modern church. We've dumbed it down to, you know, as I said, church attendance and church membership. You don't see people leaving everything very often anymore. You don't even see a lot of people giving in a sacrificial way. You know, I heard a guy preaching a couple of weeks ago and I loved it so much. I really was challenged by it personally. He said, man, we need some financial martyrs in the church who just give because they believe God's a rewarder. <laughs> you know? Beloved, God's challenging me and He's challenging you. Don't walk out that door the same. He's challenging you and me to do some business with Him. Whatever's going on in your life, wherever He's challenging you, in your life as a Christian, obey Him radically. Obey Him radically. Obey Him radically. Look what He said. One more main point here. The end of verse 27. He endures as seeing Him who is unseen. It goes back to the. It goes back to uh, Hebrews uh, eleven verse one. Remember, we talked about the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's what faith is. God tells you to do a hard thing, an impossible thing. You don't have the resources. That's how you know He's called you to it. <laughs> you can't do it. It's not on your resume. It's not on your CV. God's called you to it. It's only something that. God can do through you. You must have your eye on Him. It's, yeah, it's believing in the unseen thing. It's having confidence in, in, in the unrealized hope. But because God's God, I'll obey. This is how, this is how all the men and women of Hebrews 11 did it. God's God. He's good. I'll obey. They weigh it out. Should I go with the world or should I go with God? There's no, there's no real decision here. This is a no-brainer. I'll go with God who is good. Hebrews 11, real men, real women with real faith and a real God making a real impact in the real world. You know, I've heard, I know you've heard it said, Amy, that you can't be a little bit pregnant, Right? You can't be a little bit pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. Right? It's the same way with biblical Christianity. Now I know there are millions who are playing games and calling themselves Christians. But God says, My people don't play games. My people love Me. My people desire Me. My people trust Me. My people obey Me. This is Hebrews 11. This is God's definition of faith. It's not mine. It's not some denominational theologian. It's not some pope. It's not some potentate. It's not anybody. It's no man's definition. It's God's definition. So, beloved, I want to challenge you. If you need to tremble before God's definition of faith, tremble before the Lord if you need to tonight. Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, Revelation 3.15, I know your deeds. You are neither hot nor cold. 
I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. God is saying to us in Hebrews 11, genuine, authentic, biblical, saving faith is the antithesis of lukewarm Christianity. Lukewarm Christianity is a stench in the nostrils of God. And you heard it from, you heard it from Jesus Himself. He will spit you out of His mouth. So beloved, we need to decide who we are. Just like Moses had to. Real faith makes hard decisions to go with God. To go with God. Not just a little bit. All the way. Not just dabbling in the shallows, but out in the deeps. Out in the deeps with the Lord. So this is what all of life boils down to. You must decide for or against Christ. You must decide for or against going with Christ. This is all of life. God says the men and women of Hebrews 11 have chosen for Me. And I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed to be called their God. John MacArthur is right, I think. Our decisions in life are infinitely more important than our circumstances. So how have you decided, beloved? How have you decided for God? God says, Deuteronomy 30.19, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. So choose life in order that you may live. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for Hebrews 11. Thank You that we don't have to be deceived by religious professionals. Thank You that we don't fall under the influence of denominational theologians. All we have to do is open our Bible and read it. We understand what You say. Biblical faith is not a formula. It's not a religious formula. Biblical faith is a changed heart who has now fallen hopelessly in love with God. We understand that the men and women of Hebrews 11 are not perfect, but they would not leave off the pursuit of Christ. When they fell, they got back up. They repented of their sins and they got hot on the heels again of the living God. So Lord, we, we cry out to You that, You that You would help us to be those kinds of men and women. That we, we would be like that. We know that we are a vapor upon the earth. We know that we only have moments on this planet. We know that You've left us here for a reason. And that's to bring glory and honor to the name of Christ. Lord, help us to be like that, that's the kind of believers we want to be. That's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a light on a hill. Lord, sharing the truth and the beauty and the power of the Gospel. So Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, come. Convict our hearts where we've left off the call. Where we've sat down spiritually. Where we've been lazy. Where we've become lukewarm. Holy Spirit, come and convict us of our sin. And embolden us. Lord, we pray, embolden us to obey Jesus with glad, reckless joy. 
Thank You, Father, for this Word. Thank You for how You challenge us. Thank You for how You won't allow us to be lazy and slothful and spiritual things. How You're calling us to the deep place. We thank You, Father. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.